First Church Charlotte. Sister Venice, appreciate your prayers. Um, and we certainly need the guidance of God tonight. So we have quite a few people of, um, absent tonight because of Congress and also because of the, the leadership meeting. But we're going to press on. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Joshua, chapter number one. The book of Joshua, chapter number one. Reading a few verses from there. Uh, this will introduce us to our our study tonight. We're still doing uh, these character studies that you all have asked me to do, and um, I've been I've been enjoying them too, doing the research for each of these characters. So we thank God for that. I'm reading from Joshua, chapter number one, beginning at verse one. Uh, here beginneth the reading of God's word. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said this, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise and go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. Just as I promised to Moses, from the wilderness of this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea towards the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. And just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. So far, that is the scripture. And the subject for tonight is from a slave to a commander. Speaking of Joshua, from a slave to a commander. Here we have the story of Joshua. It's largely a, a history of the conquest of this land of Canaan that God had promised to his people. And so after the Exodus, after they left bondage in Egypt, the Bible says that the commandment of the Lord, the children of Israel encamped at a place called Rephidim, R-E-P-H-I-D-I-M, Rephidim. And, but there was no water there for the people to drink, according to Numbers chapter number 17. Now, of course, it's a well-known fact that neither people nor animals or plants or anything really can live very long without water. But I think God was testing Israel's faith in him as their sole provider. And instead of looking by faith to God who led them there, first of all, led them out of bondage to where they are, instead of looking to God, the Bible says they rose up and started to murmur against Moses. Instead of speaking to the rock, Moses smites the rock in Horeb and it burst wide open, gushing forth a river of clean water and pure, as noted in chapter 16 of Numbers. Then came, the Bible says, the enemy, the Amalekites, and fought with Israel in Rephidim, Numbers chapter 17 and verse 8. Moses abruptly and with virtually no introduction, brought Joshua to the front and install him as commander of Israel's first army. Now remember, Joshua was a young man. He was Moses' assistant, basically. 
And now he is the head of the army. Now, five months earlier, just five months earlier, these same people were slaves in Egypt, making bricks without straw and serving under the whips of their cruel slave masters. Joshua was born and reared as a slave. So he had no experience in transforming these, these slaves that were coming out of Egypt into soldiers so that they could repel the attack of the enemy, in this case, the Amalekites. His need for and reliance on God was more effective than any prior military experience would have been. This was the first time Israel was required to fight a physical battle. Yet it was also a spiritual battle. We are told in Numbers 17 and 11 that as long as Moses was observing the battle, watching from a, a hilltop, and he upheld his rod of God, the Bible says Israel, Israel would prevail. But as soon as he let his hands down, the Amalekites would prevail. Thus, the Bible then says that Joshua defeated Amalek that day. According to uh, the biblical book named after him, that which we're studying tonight, Joshua was the personally appointed successor to Moses. See Deuteronomy 31, verse 1 through 8 for that. And, and he was a charismatic warrior. He led Israel in this conquest of Canaan after the exodus from Egypt. You may recall that Moses sent 12 spies into Canaan to report on the enemy's morale, where they were physically positioned, but it was only two of them that came back with a good report, the Bible says. Only Joshua and Caleb came back with a faith-based report that pleased God. The rest of them came back with a report complaining. And so Joshua at this particular point was, was favored because God loved his response. Moses loved his response. Now it was Joshua who led the Israelites to this invasion across the Jordan River to claim the, the promised land. The first major conquest major city that he came to, and you all will remember this because you sang it as a child in Sunday school, hopefully, was the city of Jericho. And then he captured other towns in the north and south uh, until most of Palestine was brought under Israeli control. The Bible says he, he divided the conquered lands among the 12 tribes of Israel. In other words, he, he told them where they would go and where they would be responsible for. And, and the Bible says, and then he said farewell to his people in Joshua 23. He, he, he admonished them to remain loyal to the God of the covenant. However, a careful reading of the text leads us to believe that Israel did not take Canaan by means of a single comprehensive and calculated plan of conquest. It, it happened more gradually and more naturally they they obviously they had uh they had to overcome obstacles so as they were gradually and more naturally pro progressing through the the land of canaan and conquering jericho and the next city was ai for example they would infiltrate uh 
and watch this word acculturate uh, over many many years the lands and the cities that they would conquer they would infiltrate the nation they would learn of their culture they would gradually assimilate into that culture and they would wait for the appointed opportunity to seize control for God to say, now is the time for you to attack and take control of this land. So up until now, it's a relatively peaceful strategy uh, with, the, with, with few exceptions, right? But it went on for decades until David, right? Uh, David, the Bible says, was, was a bloody man, right? David wasn't playing around. Right. Until then, for the most part, the walled cities remained in Canaanite hands. Even if these cities were overtaken, uh, as in the case of Hazor, Joshua 11, Israel doesn't seem to have made any military use of them. But David's conquest and occupation of Jerusalem was the first in this respect. The accounts of Joshua's campaign, chapters 10 and 11, seem to fit these realities. They are accounts of attacks and forays by, by a mobile community of soldiers moving ever westward and increasingly getting bigger until they got to be a significant force to be reckoned with. In Exodus 17, the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. For I will utterly put out from the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. For he said, because the Lord has sworn that the Lord will wage war with Amalek from generation to generation. Those are the people that are called the Amalekites. This statement well, that the Lord would wage war against Amalek from generation to generation would, would in fact describe God at work in subduing man's carnal flesh from generation to generation. And eventually, he would utterly put out the remembrance of the Amalekites from under heaven. See Exodus 17 verse 14. So our next three glimpses... Our next three glimpses of Joshua shows him as Moses's minister. Joshua was the son of Nun, zealously defending the leadership and the honor of Moses, Numbers 11, 28, and 29. And not until the 12 spies were sent to spy out the land do we learn his given name. His given name wasn't Joshua, it was Oshia, spelled one of two ways, O-S-H-E-A or H-O-S-H-E-A, which means deliverer. But when Moses sent the spies, the Bible says he renamed him Jehoshua, which means Jehovah saves. And the Greek rendering in the New Testament of Jehoshua is Jesus. Same name. And we see that in Hebrews 4, verse 8. Obviously, this is referring to Joshua. His name, as well as his work, prefigured the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ in his salvation plan. Why did they send spies? 
I mean, up until now, God had been their constant guide ever since they left Egypt. He alone knew every foot of ground that they would cover. In fact, God had promised, I will send my fear before you and will destroy all the people to whom you shall come. And I will make all thine enemies turn their backs to thee. And I will send hornets before them, which will drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, and the Hittite from before you. Exodus 23, 27, and 8. In reflection, Moses commented on this when he wrote in the book of the Deuteronomy. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 1.19, quote, And when we departed from Horeb, this is Moses writing, When we departed from Horeb, we went through all that great terrible wilderness, Moses says, which you saw by the way of the mountain of the Amorites, as the Lord our God commanded us. And when we came to Kadesh Barnea, and I said unto you, you are coming to the mountain of the Amorites, which the Lord our God gave unto us. Behold, the Lord thy God had set this land before thee. So now go up and possess it as the Lord God of thy father has said unto thee, fear not, neither be discouraged. And he came near unto me, every one of you, and said, we will send men before us and they will go up and spy and search out the land and bring us word again by what way we must go up and into what cities we shall come. And the saying pleased me well. And I took 12 men out of you, one from every tribe, and they turned and went up into the mountain and searched out the land. So this is the reasoning behind why Moses selected uh, the 12 spies. Now, instead of believing God and trusting him, they, like we, put trust and confidence in men. And so 10 out of the 12 spies went by sight, not by faith. And they saw giants in the land and they forgot about what God had said that he was going to give them the land. But when you're looking at giants and you're looking at yourself here, you're, you're going to forget about what God said, right? So, so when they saw the giants in the land, the Bible said they forgot about what God had said to them. And they said, quote, this land eats up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. We were in our own sight, in our own eyes as grasshoppers. Numbers 13, 32. But Joshua and Caleb, led by the Spirit, rent their clothes and said this, if the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us as he has promised, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only rebel not against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bread for us, their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. So, so Caleb and Joshua repeats what the Lord had said so that they will remember that the Lord said that they shouldn't fear anybody that they're going to meet in the land because God's going to be with them. So now, only two years after leaving Egypt, two years after leaving Egypt, they were at the very edge of the promised land with the wilderness journey behind them and the promise of God before them. Over and over and over, God had proved himself so faithful and trustworthy to them. 
And, and this Joshua and Caleb testified to. In Numbers 14, we read, quote, Then all the congregation set to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, How long are these people going to grumble with me? And how long will they not believe in me, in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? So I will strike them with pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make of you, the remainder, a greater nation than they were. But Moses said to the Lord, now, now, if you do that, then the Egyptians will hear of it. Because you brought these people in your might from among them. And they will tell the inhabitants of the land that they have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of these people. For you, O Lord, are seen face to face. Your cloud stands over them in the day and a pillar of fire by night. And he says, your carcasses will fall in the wilderness and your man of war shall not come into the land except, except Caleb and Joshua. We find that in Numbers 14, 26 through 30. But your children, your little ones, which you should, which you said would become prey to the enemy, them will I bring in and they shall know the land which you have rejected and your children shall wander as shepherds in the wilderness for 40 years and suffer because of your faithlessness until your carcasses be wasted in the wilderness and quote, you shall know my rejection that you may know what it is when I withdraw my hand from my people. Now, because of this rebellion, the Bible says they had to retreat and wander for another 38 years in the wilderness. You know why? They had to wait until all the men and the women, all of them, the men of war, except Joshua and Caleb, they had to wait until they all die. Now, Moses representing this law was God's chosen man, right? To lead them out of Egypt, out of bondage, to guide them through the wilderness and to teach them good discipline. And twice, 38 years apart, Moses had brought Israel to the very edge of the border of the promised land, but he could not bring them in. The first time, the people rebelled, right? Complained, murmured, right? The second time, 38 years later, Moses made the mistake of striking the rock at the, um, at the water of Meribah instead of speaking to the rock. So therefore, Moses could not bring God's people into Jordan, into the promised land. Nevertheless, God chose Joshua to do what Moses could not do. So this is a lesson of some import. What Moses did at the time seemed like it needed to be done. And, and in some cases, he did it well. We learned that without discipline and obedience, discipleship is impossible. I'm going to say that again. Without discipline and obedience, discipleship is impossible. But as imperative as discipline is, that alone cannot bring salvation. Only Joshua, meaning Jesus or Jehovah saves, could take Israel across Jordan into the promised land. When God laid Moses to rest, he said to Joshua, the, the text that I read earlier, 
Moses, my servant is dead. Now arise and go over this Jordan, you and all these people unto a land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel, every place that the sole of their foot shall tread, I have given to you, as I said unto Moses, from the wilderness in this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea towards the going down of the sun, all of it shall be your coast. There shall not be any man to stand before thee all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, Joshua, so will I be with you. I will not fail you nor forsake you. Be strong and be of good courage. For this, unto this people shall you divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. The Bible says, and Joshua rose early the next morning. And they removed, they left from Shittim and came to Jordan. He and all the children of Israel. I've read where they were approximately 2 million men at this point. And they lodged there before the Passover. Joshua chapter number 3, verse 1. It was the time of the year when the Jordan River overflowed all of its banks on every side. The waters did not part until the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders dipped their feet into the edge of the water. Then the Bible says the water began to part. In fact, the water which was flowing down from the north stood up, basically stopped. And the water that was after that continued to run. While all the waters from that spot continued to run south, leaving the riverbed dry so that Israel could cross over. On the 10th day of the month of Abib, the first month in the, in the Hebrew calendar, they passed over Jordan and, and they camped at Gilgal. Then and there, they circumcised all the males that were born in the last 40 years. For all the men that were born in the wilderness had not been circumcised up until this point. See Joshua 5, verse 3 to 5. Now, uh, you may recall in Genesis 34 when Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, had done uh, this circumcision to adult men. This is the prince of Shechem. Because he raped their sister Dinah. This will provide you with ample proof that for several days after, uh, they could do nothing because their physical condition was compromised and they would not have been able to cope with the attack from the Canaanites, in this particular case, the Amalekites. So remember that circumcision of the flesh, watch this, symbolizes the removal of sin, which God must do for all of us in preparing us for heaven because no sin will enter there and so this circumcision is symbolic in that it is removing the flesh of the sin before they could enter the promised land even so they needed the foreshadowing in preparation to inherit the bible says to inherit canaan this is their earthly promised land and in New Testament times, Christians are, are circumcised with the spiritual circumcision, the Bible says in Colossians, made without hands and the putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, Colossians 2.11. Israel is camping at Gilgal. They kept the Passover at the 14th day of Abib, which is the first month of the Hebrew calendar. And the day after the Passover, they ate 
of the old corn of that land. And the next day, the manna from heaven ceased. Now, you may recall that for 40 years, they had lived on a day-by-day supply of manna that God miraculously supplied, basically bread from heaven. But on that day, it brought a permanent change to their diet. For the first time, they could eat food that the land produced, like everybody else, wheat and barley and corn and so on. Now, Joshua's campaign to take possession of the land began with the miraculous taking of Jericho. You can read this in Joshua chapter number six. God, through through Joshua, demonstrated this miracle and and in some ways unusual military military tactics and performed uh, this feat, if you will. God said simply march around the city once for six days. And on the seventh day, March around seven times and give a shout as God said. And the Bible says that the walls came tumbling down. The Bible says, and then Israel entered and utterly destroyed every man, woman, and child in Jericho. Except, except, here's our friend again, except Rahab and her family. Why? Because when they came to spy out the land, the Bible says she protected the spies. She hit the spies when they came to spy out the land. Now, later, Rahab evidently later converted to faith in God and became the great, great grandmother of King David. We know this because of Matthew chapter number one, verse five and six. In one of the holy books of the Jews, the book is called the Talmud. We read that the face of Moses was like the sun, but the face of Joshua was like the moon. And if you know the relationship between the sun and the moon, it is best understood to mean that the greatness of Joshua was a direct reflection of his great teacher, Moses. Right? Um, This is a tremendous compliment uh, for Joshua because we know the importance of Moses, right? Moses was the lawgiver. Moses was the deliverer from, from bondage from Egypt. Moses is giving major credibility in the Hebrew uh, mindset. And now they're saying Joshua is a reflection of that. But it also tells us that just as the sun is much greater than the moon, which only reflects sunlight, they do their best work when they work together to complement each other. As Joshua took the mantle from Moses and completed the work that was critical to the salvation of the Jewish people, uh, I, I think were it not for the work of Joshua in the conquest, all of the work that Moses did in the planning and the executing of the Exodus would have been for naught. And had Moses lived to enter the promised land, not only all of Jewish history would have been affected, but likely all of human history would have been different as well. So after the death of Moses, Joshua takes over and starts leading the Jewish people for another 28 years. And the book of Joshua describes the seven years of fighting, also known as conquest. And then after that, the seven years of settlement of the land. After the land was conquered, it was then divided up among the 12 tribes. This was done by divine lottery, right? 
The book of Joshua also describes the biblical boundaries of the land of Israel, which they are still fighting over today, as you as you, you might as well know if you're paying any attention to the news. At this time, the promised land is bound by, by Egypt to the north, because if you know where the Middle East is, if you know where Israel is on the map, the Egyptian empire is to the south of them, and the Mesopotamia is to the north of them. But at the time, it was not ruled by any of them. In fact, uh, there is no one power ruling this section of the land. Rather, it was settled by a bunch of Canaanite tribes, seven tribes, who inhabited 31 fortified city-states. They were scattered all throughout the land, and they had their own separate king. Nevertheless, Joshua was prolific in his campaign to conquer and take this land that God had promised them. So he, one by one, defeated the 31 kings and and conquered their cities during his various campaigns, which lasted uh, over seven years. There, there are all these towns. I could read the names of these towns that he defeated. I'll spare you the pain. I'll just name a few of them. First, it was Jericho, then Ahai near Bethel, then Jerusalem, then Hebron, then Harmuth, then Lachish, then Eglon, Gezer, Debir, etc., etc., etc. 31 cities and 31 kings were conquered. It was crucial for God's people to be obedient to every word that he gave them. There were times when they were obedient and listened and and did what God said. And there were times when they were not. So after Jericho, this, this factor, this obedience factor became an issue when they went to the next city, which was a, a, by, by comparison, a tiny little city which they could have easily run over by the name of Ahai. So right after the tremendous victory at Jericho, the armies of Israel fell victim to Ai. Let let me take you there. Let me take you to this story. Joshua chapter number seven. I'm reading the first few verses, actually several verses. It says in verse, uh, but the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully and violated their obligation in regard to the things that were off limits under the ban, those things that the Lord had claimed. And they belong, the first fruits belong to the Lord, right? For Achan, the son of Camry, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, from the tribe of Judah, took some of the things that was under the ban for his personal gain. He hid it in his tent. And therefore the anger of the Lord burned against the Israelite because of this. Verse number two, Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Bethaven, east of Bethel, and said to them, go up and spy out the land. So the men went up and spied out Ai. Then they returned to Joshua and said, hey, don't, don't make a big deal out of this. Right? You don't even have to send up all of the troops. Right? You can send the B team. Only around two or 3,000 men need to go up to attack Ai because it's a small city. Do not make the entire army go up there, for there are few. So about 3,000 men from the sons of Israel went up 
But the Bible says they had to flee in retreat from the men of Ai. The men of Ai killed immediately 36 of Israel's men and chased them from the gate as far as to the bluffs of Shebarim and struck them down as they descended the steep pass. So the hearts of the people melted in despair and began to doubt God's promise. The Bible says they became like water. Their hearts became like water. They were so disheartened. Then Joshua tore his clothes, fell face down on the ground before the Ark of the Covenant, and he stayed there till evening. He and the elders of Israel and with great sorrow, they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why, why have you brought this people across the Jordan at all, only to hand us over to the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been willing to live beyond Jordan, O Lord. What can I say now that the army of Israel has turned its back in retreat and fled before Ai? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will, will hear about it. And eventually they will come and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name to keep it from dishonor? Verse 10. So the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why is it that you're falling on your face? Israel has sinned. They have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded to them. They have taken some of the things that belong to me under the ban, and they have stolen and denied that they have stolen it. Moreover, they have put the stolen objects among their own things. Verse 12. This is why the soldiers of Israel could not stand and defend themselves before their enemies. They turned their backs and ran before them because they have become a curse. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy the things under the ban from among you. Rise up, consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves from tomorrow. And thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, there are things under the ban among you, O Israel. You cannot stand victorious before your enemies until you remove the things under the ban from among you. Let me explain what's, what's going on. Um, the Bible says this even in our lives. Whenever we uh, go on into a new venture, the first fruits belong to the Lord. And when they conquered Jericho, the spoils of Jericho belong to the Lord, not belong to the people. And they should not have taken those things to themselves. And this is what happened. And the Lord said, no, nah, nah, that's, that's not what you were supposed to do. And let me finish reading this piece. It says in the morning, uh, you shall come forward by your tribes. And it shall be that the tribe which the Lord chooses by lot will come forward by families. And the families which the Lord chooses shall come forward by separate households. And the household which the Lord chooses shall come forward man by man. And it shall be that the one who is chosen with things under the ban shall be killed. In other words, when the Lord finds who took these things, he shall be killed and his body burned with fire. Him and all that belongs to him because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has done a disgraceful and disobedient thing in Israel. So Joshua got up early in the morning and had Israel come forward by tribes and the tribe of Judah was chosen by Lot. He and his family of Judah came forward and the family of the Zerahites was chosen. 
and he had the family of the Zerites come forward by man, and the family of Zabdi was chosen, and he brought his household forward man by man, and Achan, Achan, the son of Camry, Achan, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, from the tribe of Judah was chosen. Then Joshua said to Achan, my son, I implore you to give to the Lord, the God of Israel, and praise him in recognition of his, recognition of his righteous judgments. And tell me now, what have you done? Do not hide this from me. So Achan answered Joshua and said, quote, In truth, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I have done. When we attacked Jericho, I saw the spoils, the beautiful robe from Shinar, south of Babylon, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. And I wanted them and I took them. Behold, now they are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath it. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and they saw the stolen items hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them from the tent and brought them to Joshua and all to all the sons of Israel. And they spread them out before the Lord and Joshua and all of Israel with him. They took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the royal robe, the bar of gold, all of his sons, all of his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and everything that he had. And they brought them up to the Valley of Achor, which means disaster. The Valley of Achor, remember that, which means disaster. And Joshua said, why have you brought disaster upon us? The Lord will bring disaster to you this day. And all of Israel stoned them to death. Afterwards, they burned their bodies in the fire. Then they piled up this great heaps of stone and made a monument. Then the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of that place today is called the Valley of Achor. So what can we learn from this story? What, what are the lessons that God is trying to teach us in this story of the conquest and, and, and what has happened here and what God requires in terms of obedience? God will not honor us if we insist on bringing sin and disobedience into his camp and into our bodies. We must first cleanse ourselves so that we can be pleasing to God. So we learned several things here in this story. Number one, we need to recognize that God brought us this far as he did with the children of Israel. He delivered them from Egypt's bondage and slavery, brought them through the Red Sea. That's a big feat, right? Then he brought them through Jordan River into the land of Canaan. That's another giant accomplishment, right? Now, God led them for 40 years through the wilderness by a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. Now, right when Jordan was at its highest, most, most treacherous level, God led them through that river. And it would have been easier for Israel to cross when the water was a trickle. Yes, but they would have missed the miracle. So the first thing to recognize is that God's with us. And it was God who has brought us here. From everything that we've gone through, God is at the helm. Number two, remember the promises of God. 
before God ever perched Israel in front of the Jordan, he reminded Joshua, I will give you every place where your foot touch. The same promise I gave to Moses, it's the same promise I'm giving to you. In Joshua chapter number one, verse three and verse five, I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And you will say, yeah, that's an Old Testament promise, but it is also in the New Testament in Hebrews 13, verse five. God says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So the first one is recognize that God brought us here. The second one is remember God's promises. And the third one is we need to obey God's word. The first fruit belongs to God. Along with his promises, God reminded Joshua to obey every bit of God's law. Do not turn from it to the left nor to the right so that you may be successful wherever you go. Right? The fourth thing Stay in God's word. Do not let this book, the Bible says, depart from your mouth. God tells this to George, uh, to Joshua. Meditate on it day and night. Joshua chapter number one, verse eight. When we're facing overwhelming circumstances, we must saturate ourselves in the word of God so that God can give us answers. You're not going to get your answers from Instagram and Facebook. You're going to get your answers from the word of God. Amen. Number five, stay focused on God. As the Israelites prepared to cross, they were instructed to watch the ark. Keep your eye on the ark and follow the ark. And it will tell you where to go. Since you have not been this way before, Joshua 3 verse 4. Now the ark represents the presence of God. We will lose heart and lose faith every time if we focus on the floodwaters around us. But if we keep our minds focused on God, open our eyes to his leading hand, we will be led of the Lord, certainly to victory. Martin Luther says, I know the way that he leads me, but well do I not know. Well do I not know how he leads me, but I know the way he leads me. Number six, we need to get our feet wet. <laughs> Joshua records that as the Levites touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing, Joshua 3.15. God did not part Jordan the way he did the, the Red Sea. The miracle only happened once they stepped in the water. God will deliver us when we step out on faith with him. And finally, we need to remember, make a memorial. God told Joshua to take 12 stones from the middle of Jordan and set them upon the riverbed as a memorial to forever remind all succeeding generations of God's miracle. And what a faith booster this must have been every time they saw this memorial. And so perhaps we, we need to record in a journal or maybe in the margins of your, your favorite Bible with the date and the details of how God delivered you, of how God healed you, of how God, God worked with you to bring you through tough times. Every single time you read those chapters in, the, in your Bible or in your journal, you will be reminded of the God that delivered you in the past. And if he did it in the past, guess what? He can do it again. 
listen, none of us want to face the impossible. None of us wants to face sickness or disease. But if God leads us to it, he surely will lead us through it. So I hope these seven lessons help us to grow in our faith when we come to our next Jordan. Thank you. That's all I have tonight. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.